How y'all doing? Y'all good? I'm sorry for the breakdown. <laughs> praise God. Yeah, praise God. Um, okay, now, I hadn't talked to either Shah or Deuce this week, yet both of them seem to have already preached my sermon. <laughs> um, but I just see it as confirmation, and I'm just going to reiterate <laughs> what's already been said, but I actually do have a lot more to add, so. Let's get into it. Today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about praise and worship. Isn't that crazy? I hadn't talked to him at all, so this is real crazy. <laughs> but we're going to talk about praise and worship. And um, there's we can we I was going to try to tackle um, tackle worship comprehensively, but a that's too much to tackle in 30 minutes. Um, B I thought it necessary. Um, to really set our attention and our focus on worship in the local, in the context of the local assembly. Um, and so that's, that's what we're going to deal with today. Um, however, I will briefly um, just talk about the worship in the broadest sense, and then we're going to quickly move to worship in the most specific sense, which in this context will be worship with regards to music ministry in the context of the local gathering. So, here we go. (laughs) There's no one uh, passage. This is more of like a systematic study. It's it's not necessarily one passage where I just go verse by verse. We'll just look at several passages all throughout the scriptures that speak to the various aspects of of worship in the local gathering. And the reason that this is important Um, because some of us may not necessarily deem this as, like some of us may already have sort of tuned out. But I hope that you would um, give me your undivided attention because I think that this is very important. I can't tell you why right now, but if you hold on to at least the middle of the sermon, (laughs) I can tell you why this is so important. (laughs) But this is critical. Like this is critical um, to our time together for so many different reasons that if you just stick around for a little while, um, we'll, we'll actually get to that. But we're going to start off talking about worship in the broadest sense of it. First of all, understand, excuse me, first of all, it's important for us to understand that we're wired to worship, that God built us that way. Um, everybody everywhere is worshiping something or someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just watching um, something on television. Oh, I think we were watching Access Hollywood. And um, they, there was a child that was born. Was it in India, Bay? I don't know if it was in India or not. Anyway, the child was born, I think in India. Wait, you saw that? <laughs> four arms and four legs. Four arms and four legs. And... Um, one, the, host, the host on um, Access Hollywood said some people saw this child as sort of a, a godlike child and immediately began to worship. <laughs> See, even as crazy as that might sound, as weird as that may seem, everybody everywhere is looking for something or someone to worship. <laughs> when we look in hip-hop, you see the same thing all the time. When you look at the Oprah show, you see it every time she shows up. When Oprah shows up, there's an outbreak of worship. <laughs> y'all tired. Y'all tired. Y'all, see, y'all ain't going to talk to me this morning. It's an outbreak of worship. You know when Oprah shows up, it's worship. She got to tell the people six times, stop. Well, okay, easy, easy, easy. We got an hour show. And they keep standing up and giving her ovations. That's worship. That's a form of worship. On the Fade the Black DVD, if anybody's familiar with Jay-Z, for all of, all of you who are familiar with Jay-Z, there was about a three-minute segment where Jay-Z had left the stage. He was gone, and they held up their rock signs, and they said, Hova, 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 over and over and over again. That's a form of worship. Everybody everywhere is worshiping something or someone. Turn to me to Romans 1. 
I feel my help coming. <laughs> Turn with me to Romans 1. Everybody everywhere is worshiping something or someone. If anybody here, or for all of you here who are familiar with Michael Jackson, <laughs> in his prom, out his prom, for some reason, they're still doing this when he show up. Like, they're still crying and falling out when Mike show up. <laughs> That's worship. <laughs> Tell me the Romans. <laughs> Paul is writing um, here, and he says, chapter 1, verse 18. When you got to say, I got it. Sweet. All right, here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown to, the, to them. In other words, God has made himself known. It's about the guilt going into great detail about in what, in what ways God has made himself known. And what we're about to, and the ways in which God has made himself known is called common grace. That's just the technical theological term for it. Uh, which is different than efficacious grace. Because common grace is grace that basically, where basically God... Uh, rains on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on the just and the unjust. If you ever wonder why the wicked prosper, why the wicked seem to be doing pretty good, they're doing okay as far as success is concerned. They're doing okay as far as prosperity is concerned. They're, doing, they're, they're at the amusement parks having fun too. Some of them are going to be a great adventure when we show up. They're enjoying life because God in His grace has allowed them, has, has, God in His grace has allowed them for a season to to benefit from his stuff. Now, the primary reason why God has done that is so that they would look in his direction. So common grace isn't intended to be a wall, but a window that people look through in order to see God. Most people don't know how to respond to common grace, and they think common grace is the same as I'm blessed. They think that they're blessed by God, which we know that's, a, that's something that's reserved for the saints. But common grace basically is that y'all ain't talking back. Y'all tired. Y'all ain't talking back. <laughs> But common grace is basically the, the, it rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust, which basically means that people are benefiting from God's stuff. Right now, people are benefiting from God's presence even in the most generic sense. Efficacious grace, however, is a different kind of benefit because it's you benefiting from grace that is, that is locked up in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And so what Paul is talking about here is common grace, and he goes on to say that God has revealed himself. How? He says in verse 24, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. <laughs> says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. What has God revealed about himself? A, he's revealed his deity. B, he's revealed his power. He's revealed also his creative genius. Because the world, every day that the world wakes up, they're, they're, um, they're getting a glimpse of how genius God is. <laughs> Every day that they wake up, they're getting a glimpse of how genius he is. My wife always raves about how the seasons, she can't believe how the cycle of the seasons just happen like clockwork. <laughs> so we can't believe it. I mean, the, the way that the moon really doesn't have light, <laughs> but that the moon is basically stealing the light from the sun. <laughs> This is genius, and the world, the world gets an opportunity to glean, to see this every day, to observe these things every day. The Bible says God did this so that he could make himself known. He says, make his power known, make his creative genius known, make his deity known, so, they, so that they are without excuse. It says, because although they knew God, in theory, they did not glorify him as God, nor were, nor were thankful, but f became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to, to be wise, they became fools, changed, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made into the made into corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Basically, all the things they replaced God with. This is all the stuff they decided. We don't want to worship God. We know God in theory, but we suppress what we know about God, and we prefer. See, one thing that's important to understand about the world is that the world 
prefers darkness rather than light. The world prefers the gods of this age rather than the God of the Bible, rather than the God of creation. This is a preference. It says they know, but they suppress. Here we go. It says, therefore, verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Watch this. And worshiped and served the creature. Rather than the creator who was blessed forever. That speaks to my first point, which is everybody everywhere is worshiping someone or something. And they're not worshiping, like Dew said, under a tree all by themselves. The world is worshiping in community. When you see them, they're at Oprah together. That's the thing they have in common. Like you said, if they hate each other, the one thing they have in common at that moment is their affection for Oprah. (laughs) If they hate each other, the one thing they have in common at the Jay-Z concert is their affection for Jay-Z. They're worshiping together. Everybody, in the broadest sense, is worshiping someone or something. But we as believers understand that it's important and it's necessary. I'm going to get there right in the middle. I'm going to get to the why. I want to jump to the why so bad. But we as believers understand it's important and it's necessary to passionately, exuberantly worship God. The true and living God. So the first point is, who is it that we worship? Who is it that we worship? Before we get there, I thought this was important just as a precursor to the first point because everything is predicated upon this one point. If this one thing is not intact, everything that follows in this message will be irrelevant to you. (laughs) The thing that must be a precursor to passionately, exuberantly worshiping God is delighting in Him. If we don't delight in God, we can't worship Him. The thing that must precede worshiping God is delighting in Him. I love the Psalms and I'm, become, I'm actually becoming more and more a fan and shot. Lynn actually is the one who got me really like going back to the Psalms. <laughs> but I love the Psalms because what you find in the Psalms is the language of delight. <laughs> you find the kind of language that we use in intimate relationships. Well, you may not find that language. When you read through the epistles, you may not find this. You took, Paul is talking all this doctrinal stuff, and eventually he's getting into all this stuff that basically should follow doctrine, all this duty that should follow doctrine, all this conduct that should follow doctrine. You're not necessarily going to get that, necessarily get the, the language of intimacy in the same way that you get it in the Psalms anywhere else in the Bible. <laughs> the psalmists talk about God in a way that is poetic. <laughs> so the precursor, the thing that must proceed, worshiping God passionately, praising God wholeheartedly, is first delighting in Him. You can't get blood out of a turnip. <laughs> Nobody will come in here and be, and be lifting holy hands and the words that are on the screen be resonating with their hearts if first they don't delight in Him. The psalmists use the lang- they use the language of the light. Psalms 37.4. You can turn there with me. I don't hear the pages ruffling. Y'all on y'all PDAs. The Bible on y'all PDAs. <laughs> Psalms 37. When you got to say, I got it. 37.4, he says, delight yourself also in the Lord, <laughs> and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 
I like the way he starts off. Uh, verse 2, he says, uh, B of, I mean, verse 3, sorry, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. <laughs> Look at the language that he uses there. He says, dwell in the land, feed on God's faithfulness. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The thing that must precede worship is delighting in him. (laughs) It's delighting in him is the engagement of the heart. (laughs) I like what John Piper says. He says, Where feelings for God are dead, so is worship. (laughs) But look at the language he used. He didn't say when knowledge of God is dead. (laughs) He said when feelings for God are dead, so is your worship. The Bible says that the thing that must proceed The prerequisite, so to speak, for worship is delighting in Him. (laughs) Also, the thing that's a prerequisite for worship is desiring Him. (laughs) The Psalms uses the language of not only delight, but the Psalms use the language of desire. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, the bottom line is, realistically, y'all, We're still wrestling with the old man. We're still wrestling with a sinful nature that doesn't like God. The sinful nature is is still hostile. The matter of fact, the, the flesh is not redeemed. God redeemed our spirits. He didn't redeem our flesh. So the flesh is still tugging warring with God. The flesh is still at enmity with God. The flesh would still rather watch TV than spend time. The flesh would still rather... There's a whole lot of stuff the flesh would still rather do <laughs> than desire God. So the psalmist, he uses the language of desire, the language of yearning. Because the truth of the matter is that sometimes we don't, desire, we don't delight in God, so we have to pray God works in us a desire for Him. <laughs> Y'all see this? Like in other words, nobody's going to, if we don't delight in God naturally because of whatever, all kinds of distractions, all kinds of other preoccupations, all kinds of just other, just busyness, just life, just living. If we don't delight in God for whatever reason, the key is to pray that He works in you a desire for Him so that you will delight in Him. The psalmist uses the language of desire. Psalms 63.1, he says... Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Oh, my goodness. He says, earnestly, I seek you. Look at this. My soul thirsts for you. This is the language of desire. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land. This is the language of desire. The thing that must precede worship, if you have a hard time coming in here, lifting your hands in worship, if you have a hard time coming in here and your heart being elevated to God, if you have a hard time in here connecting with the words that you're singing or the words that you're reading, it could be because you lack desire. It could be because throughout the week there's no delighting in Him. Now you've got to conjure it up. says here, I'm saying here that the psalmist uses the language of desire. He says here, my soul, Psalms 84.2, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, he says, he said, it longs, yes, for the living God. David said in Psalms 27.4, he says, there's one thing I desire or one thing I seek. He says, that's the gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire of his temple. This is the language of desire. 
If this is not in us, beg God to work it in us. When you find yourself consumed with many other things, and your desires are many other things, one of the things that I do in order to check myself to see where I'm at, just in terms of affection and desire and delight in Christ, is I watch how my soul responds to everything else. <laughs> and when I see a disparity between how I respond when, we, when we're talking about the, the championship game and how my soul responds when we talk about Christ ascending into heaven, <laughs> his resurrection... <laughs> When I see a disparity, I realize God, I, I realize I got to cry out to heaven and beg that God would tweak my affections, tweak my heart, so that I long for Him more. Watch your soul. Watch how you respond to everything else. That's the best way to gauge, one of the best ways to gauge how you're feeling about God that week. <laughs> The thing that precedes collective worship is delighting in Him and desiring Him. Who do we worship? We worship Yahweh. There's only one God. I just was up 2.30 this morning talking with somebody for an hour in a hotel in Atlanta or somewhere in Georgia. And... Um, he spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to prove to me that there's many roads that is just as long as you, whatever God you believe in, as long as there's peace amongst us, everybody's okay. And we literally talked for an hour, and that we couldn't even scratch the surface <laughs> because there was so much to work through. And I realized, I said, I told him, I said, my new thing is, I just tell people, do you have a Bible? Because <laughs> all I could trust is really the Spirit of God doing something supernatural in them as they read the Bible. <laughs> so if you, if you got a Bible, yo, just start reading the book of John. That's, I tell, that's, what, that's where all my conversations end now. <laughs> just read the book of John. And then you have to trust the Spirit of God. To do a work in them to help them, help people to understand that there's only one God. However, even Christians get confused about worship when it comes to the three persons of God. <laughs> Who do I worship? Do I worship the Father? Do I worship the Son? <laughs> do I worship the Spirit? <laughs> and throughout the scriptures, the answer is pretty clear. And the easy answer is, you can worship all three persons because all three persons are essentially God. <laughs> so you don't have to feel good to like, I praise you. I mean, I praise you. I mean, I praise you, Father. <laughs> yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> no, the Bible says that the Father in John chapter 4 is looking for worshipers. That would worship him in spirit and in truth. Now watch this. I like this view that I actually just read. The gentleman says the in spirit is not necessarily in the Holy Spirit, but in the realm of the spirit. So in the same way that um, we were talking about, we were in Galatians, and we were talking about walking in the flesh. And walking in the Spirit. And this is just the view. Don't stone me afterwards. <laughs> but I like this view. He says in the same way that the Bible talks about walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. The, in the Spirit in Galatians can be the realm of the Spirit. Right? <laughs> in other words, the place where... The place where the... Affairs and the operations of the Spirit take place. <laughs> Here, he says in John 4, he says, in light of the context, 
He's probably talking about the realm of the spirit, not necessarily the person of the spirit. He says, because the question on the floor is, where do I worship? That's what the, that's what the woman is asking. Where should I worship? <laughs> says, I'm, is, it okay, is it okay for me to worship where my fathers did on the mountain? Jesus says, no, 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 no. Now I'm looking for people that will worship in the realm of the spirit, not in this particular location. <laughs> you follow that? You follow that? So he says here, Jesus says, Jesus says, the Father is looking for worshipers that will worship him in the realm of the spirit, if you hold that view, and truth. So we know the Father receives worship. But then... All throughout the Gospels, and we can just look at a couple of them. Let's just go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. Is this good, y'all? <laughs> Matthew chapter 2. I mean, 8, my bad. <laughs> verse 2. The Bible says, when he had, verse 1, say, and when he had came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and we know him as Jesus. says, and behold, a leper came, and, I can't hear y'all, y'all quiet. Oh, wow. Y'all got 50 different things, okay. And worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So now here you have. Jesus receiving worship. Now you know this was a violation. If this, if Jesus was not, if Jesus was in, was in fact not God, Jesus would have done like everybody else did when they, when people tried to worship them. Even the most elite of Christians and believers. Paul, the Bible says, and Barnabas, the Bible says when they went into the town, people thought that they were gods. And they went and tried to sacrifice and worship them. Paul says, Paul ripped his clothes. And Barnabas, they ripped their clothes. And they said, no, don't worship us. Worship God only. <laughs> Same thing, Revelations 21. The Bible, says that, the Bible says that the angel sent by God, he stands before John. He's given to, showing John all these things pertaining to the future. The Bible says that John, by this point, he's overwhelmed. Think about it. We, this is 21 chapters by this point. <laughs> he's completely overwhelmed with everything he's seen from chapter 1 up to chapter 21 for us. The Bible says that he bows down in worship and the angel says, get up. Don't worship me. Worship God only. If this were a problem, especially in light of the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments taught us, don't put any other God before, before me. God said, don't put any other God before me. Then he goes on to say, don't even kneel or bow, which is the challenge with some of our Catholic, even brothers, some of them are our brothers and sisters. The challenge for those of the, the Catholics that are even our brothers and sisters is that they're kneeling and they're bowing to saints and they're kneeling and they're bowing to Mary in a way that we're basically in a way that is only reserved for God. So the, so the idea here is if Jesus was in violation in any way, if he wasn't God, he would have did what Paul and Barnabas did and he would have did what the angel did, but he didn't. The Bible says that they came, they worshipped him, and he took it. <laughs> ah, that's good. <laughs> Look at that. So the Father receives worship. I'm looking for worshipers. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, is receiving worship from all people everywhere. And then we see the Spirit of God. We don't see the Spirit of God worshipped. However, we do see that the Spirit of God is just as much God <laughs> as Jesus and the Father. When we look in Acts chapter 5, where he says, why did, you lie to, why did you lie to the Spirit? Then he says, why did you lie to God? So the idea is the Spirit of God is in fact God. But we do see that the role of the Spirit is to charge us to worship the Father and the Son. Amen? So who do we worship? <laughs> we worship God only. Can we worship each person? Absolutely. 
How do we know? Because when we look in the scriptures, we see each person receiving worship. Why? Because each person is equally as much God. Amen? So you don't have to be confused when your hands are raised. <laughs> I love you, I love you, Spirit. I mean, I love you. You can, you can worship either person. Ultimately, we're all worshiping God. Amen? Amen. What, is, what are two things that are important to consider in worshiping God? Remember, we're talking about who to worship. The two things that are important to consider, which I talked briefly about earlier, is the fact that God is both transcendent and he's imminent. God is both transcendent and he's imminent. <laughs> you know, there, there is, there's, there's a move even in Christianity um, where, and definitely in the culture, where the weightiness of God, um, which is what the word glory means, but the weightiness of God is basically discounted. This is, I don't have a problem with people who wear Jesus in my homeboy shirts. I don't think there's an inherent problem with people who wear Jesus is my homeboy shirts. And I, we'll get to that when we get to the imminent part. However, I do think that in the mind of the culture, <laughs> the people that are stitching them together, <laughs> unless they're believers, which I don't believe they are, in the mind of the people that are making the shirts, I believe that it's, even if it's unintentional, and the Bible says that Satan is at work in the sons of disobedience, so even if it's not necessarily conscience, they're not necessarily conscious of it. I do believe that it does discount the very weight of God. It takes a, because there's nothing else in the culture that highlights his transcendence. <laughs> then if all you see is Jesus is my homeboy, I think that that sort of digs into his his lord, his kingliness, his godness, his his eternal power. His you follow what I'm saying? So I think that there. I don't think that there's an inherent problem with the shirt, but I do think that because there's no emphasis in the other direction in the culture, naturally, people will only see Jesus as their homeboy and then come up with their own idea of what that is. <laughs> so it's important that, and unfortunately, a lot of that has seeped into the church where we so dumb God down that he basically only becomes only a friend. He is a friend. We're going to get to that. <laughs> but if he's only a friend, sometimes it's difficult to, re to, to remember just how lofty he is. <laughs> just how separate from us he is. Just how holy he is. Y'all follow? <laughs> See, angels aren't worshiping God as friend. <laughs> angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. Oh, which actually, real quick, let me go back real quick to the worshiping each person of the Godhead. There is a view, A, that holy, holy, holy is just emphasis. Um, just the, that was just one of the ways in which they emphasized things in Hebrew culture, they just would write it three times or numerous times to emphasize its worth or whatever. So there's one of you that says when angels cry, holy, 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 that they're, that, that they're just emphasizing his uniqueness, um, emphasizing his holiness. There's another view that says that there's another view that says that when they cry, holy, 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 that they're speaking to they're acknowledging each person in the Godhead. <laughs> So there's a holy designated for each person that makes up all of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, parent, that's parenthetical. So the, so the Bible here is, the idea here is that God is transcendent, and when we come in and when we gather to worship him, it's good to keep this in mind. I'm just going to read a few passages of scripture that, put, that support this idea. Psalms 86, um, 8. Let's turn to that. When you got it, say, I got it. Some of y'all are lying. Don't say, I got it yet. Yeah. 
86, 8. When you, if everybody got it, say, I got it. Sweet. All right, here we go. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. Look at that. This is transcendence. Transcendence is basically the, it's just basically the idea that God is not us. <laughs> God is not like us, nor is he like anything created. Remember, even the spirit realm is created. I think sometimes we forget that. We think like all the spirit realm came in together. God, in the beginning, God. And then he made angels. And the, and the Bible says that, in, um, I think in Job chapter 36, the Bible says that as he was making the stars, the angels were right by his side singing. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> The angels were right by his side singing and rejoicing as he was in the process of creating. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? The idea is that he's separate, he's different even from those who in the realm of the spirit, which is why they're crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I've heard one theologian say that the reason why angels are still crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, you would think they had enough of him by now. They've been with him since the very beginning. They saw when he created all things. They saw when he made us. They saw, they saw, the, they saw the, the son abandon the glories of heaven. They saw his death on the cross. They saw, they've been there from the beginning you would think I've had enough you know after a while you know it's like I don't care how where a person is in their status how much of a superstar they are after a while that which is flesh is flesh (laughs) you'd be like oh you know I'm saying is this it (laughs) you know I'm saying like you know we like we know some people that are like you know celebrities or whatever you know at first it's like this is crazy their house they're this they're that they're that then after a while, it's like you're twiddling your thumbs and you're like, is this it? You would think that that's how the angels would feel. Like, uh, you know, we've seen all, all that we could see by this point. <laughs> we've heard all that we could hear by this point. But I like what this theologian says. He says that the reason why angels can still cry out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come even to present day, is because no angel has ever seen the same side of God twice. <laughs> That's how vast God is. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Not even angels have seen the same side of them. <laughs> I love it. They're still blown away by them. There's something about God that's so brilliant, so vast, so wide. There's so much depth. There's so much width. There's so much breadth to him that even angels that have been there since the beginning are still crying, holy, holy, holy. Bible says in Colossians, angels are still longing to understand redemption. They're looking down, they can't understand, they still can't understand redemption. They're still scratching their head about redemption. They're still longing to understand redemption. They've been with him since the beginning, yet he's so transcendent. He's so not like us. He's so not like them. <laughs> ah! Y'all got to love this. He's so not like them. That they're crying, holy, 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 in antiphonal mode. That's the beauty of it. Antiphonal mode is basically the idea is call and response. That is, if I say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, you. The Bible teaches us that that's what the angels are doing. I love it. Back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord. You would think they had enough of them by now. You would think they've seen enough. But not only is he not like us, he ain't like them. transcendent. He says, I'm the, I am God, there's no other. <laughs> I am God, there's none like me. If you ever start doubting God, just read the passages where he's just talking about himself. <laughs> I am God, there's none like me. <laughs> I am God, there is no other. <laughs> Nobody works like I do. <laughs> 
I am God. Salvation is holy of me. If you ever start doubting God, just read the passages where he's talking about himself. Transcendent. Terrible. The, ain't, the Israelites, the Bible says they stood at the mountain shaking. <laughs> oh my God. Trembling. Trembling. Saying we won't go near that mountain. Let Moses come talk to us. Because <laughs> he's transcendent. He's not like us. He's not like them. Yet he's like us. <laughs> They're attributes that we share. We call them communicable attributes. Just a big word. Basically means transmittable. If I got a cold, you can catch that. <laughs> I can transmit a cold. I can't transmit cancer. <laughs> There's some attributes of God in all of his transcendence. Omni, all the omnis. He can't give us those. <laughs> but there are other things that he does share, that we do share. That's why the Bible says we're made in his image. <laughs> He's close to us. The Bible says in John 15 that he tells the disciples, isn't this beautiful? And this is what, this is the beauty of it right here. As lofty as he is, all the stuff we just talked about. He looks at the disciples and says, you're no longer servants, but friends. (laughs) Oh my goodness. He looks at the disciples and says, you're no longer servants. You're now my friends. (laughs) He's imminent. Bible says he came in the beginning was God. I mean, was the word, the word was God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. He, Christ, was in the beginning with God. 14. And the word became flesh and hung out with us, ate with us. He says, come dine with me. Ate with us, slept with us, laughed with us, cried with us. This is why the Bible says he's a high priest who can sympathize with our frailties. He's imminent. He's close. He's near. He's not afar off, the Bible says. (laughs) We got to hold these two things in tension. So when we come in and we gather to worship, we know how to worship the God who's holy and lofty and who's terrible. (laughs) And the God who says, you're my friend. All at the same time. He's transcendent, yet he's imminent. Why we worship. Why we worship. To magnify the greatness of God. Simply put. We worship together. Please don't miss this part. Like Du said, not by, praise God for your individual praise. <laughs> but when we come in here on Sunday morning, we're coming in like, a te- like people who go see their favorite team. <laughs> Together, you saw the Boston game. They had on the, the green, everybody had on green and white. Some people had their shirts off and just painted themselves white and green. They had something in common that they praised, that they had affection for, that they worshiped, and you sensed the energy in their midst. When we come here on Sunday morning, it should be we are the team of the, the people of God who come to celebrate the King. <laughs> yeah. 
the people of God who come to celebrate the Lord who's our friend. <laughs> the people who come to, 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 to honor Yahweh, to, to focus on the cross, what he's done. <laughs> on his person, on his character, on his nature. We should come in the same way. They, they go and pump to the games. We go to the movies excited when we all go in groups. <laughs> There's a unified excitement, a unanimous excitement. This is what it should be when we come here. We should come in pumped, ready to glorify God. Ready, ready to magnify the greatness of God. I love this idea of magnifying God. The Bible says, come magnify the Lord with me. <laughs> Let us, y'all see this? It's, exalt his name what? Together. It says, come magnify the Lord with me. I love this idea of magnify. I love you, what Ty said. <laughs> Ty Tribbett says something that was great. He says, he says, when you magnify, he says, when you magnify something, is it not that anything about the thing that you're magnifying changes? The only thing that changes is your perception of the thing that's being magnified. See, when we talk about magnifying God. It's not like there's any intrinsic worth that we're adding to God. <laughs> the only thing that's being tweaked as we sing songs of worship together is our perception of God. So he gets bigger to us. <laughs> not that he got bigger. <laughs> the cross just looks more attractive now. Not that anything about the cross changed. <laughs> Come, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt in his name together. Why do we, mag I mean, why do we, why do we worship to magnify the greatness of God? Why else do we worship? I love this. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 20, 21. Why else do we worship? I'll be out your way in seven minutes. I didn't want to see five. <laughs> I'm glad I got a relatively cool day. <laughs> You'd be falling off in the heat. <laughs> All right. Um, second, uh, what did I say? Second Chronicles 2021. 20, Watch this. Watch this, y'all. Take it home, chew on it. All right. One of the other reasons. Reasons why it's important that we worship together in song is because it's, a me it's one of the instruments of warfare. <laughs> this is crazy. Now, <laughs> true, they go true, going charismatic on us. <laughs> I used to hear songs up to recently, I promise you. Up to recently, I would hear songs. And I would hear people talk about praise. Now, granted, they may not have all the information. We're going to get into that at the, last, the very last point. We'll talk about all that. <laughs> but they may not have the info, all the information, but they're on the right track. But praise, making the devil mad. Worship being ammunition. I heard that before. Say hallelujah, it's ammunition. I used to hear that and be like, that's a little like the deep end. Like, you don't see that in the Bible. And then I listened to a sermon by John Piper that completely revolutionized my thinking called Ambushing Satan with a Song. Oh my gosh. And what he gets into, he gets to a whole lot of stuff. And I'm just going to read this one verse. 
um, that supports this point that when we praise and worship together, it's in other words, there are certain means of grace. The local church, like if you try to do life by yourself as a Christian, you're missing out on one of God's means of growth, accelerated growth and development in Christ. Because <laughs> the local church is the means of grace that God uses to grow us up, <laughs> right? He uses, uh, each, he uses us all in each other's lives, sharpen one another, admonish one another, like challenge one another, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Spur one another on love good to, and good deeds, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Over and over, encourage one another while it's still day, for the day of the Lord is, 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 um, the day of the Lord is approaching. You see all these one another's in the scriptures, that, that's because God intended for Christianity to happen, not just in the context of the universal church, but in the context of the local church, because when Paul's writing, he's not writing, when he's writing epistles, he's not writing epistles to the universal church. He's writing epistle to local churches. To local churches. Y'all following me? <laughs> so that's one of the means by which God... Grow, I don't know if y'all don't like that, or, but I'm just, just telling you that's one of the means by which God grows us up. <laughs> it's one of the means by which God develops us, matures us, takes us from infancy to maturity. God has certain means of grace. One of the means of grace in the context of spiritual warfare is... It is the sword of the Spirit, <laughs> We got that part, though. In addition to that, it's singing songs of worship and praise. Second Chronicles 20. 21. It says here, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying. Now look at this. God sent, now you know, Old Testament, New Testament correspondence. Old, under the Old Covenant, or the older, the, yeah, under the Old Covenant, God, many things were temporal. Like because they were shadows and they were types of what God would fulfill spiritually in the New Covenant. Follow me? So in the Old, if y'all, when I say follow me, y'all can say, yeah, all right. <laughs> And the new, because if y'all not, I want to go back to it, all right? So in the old covenant, you got a bunch of shadows and types. Basically, stuff, everything's temporal, but it's, that's only because it's pointing to something greater. That's where we get the book of Hebrews from, all this greater stuff. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the greater temple, I'm the, I'm the, all this greater stuff happens in the new covenant. Better things, right? So the idea is, when you look in the old covenant, you see a literal physical temple, okay? That's the big deal, one gets torn down, God makes sure another one gets built up. New covenant, you go now we are what? The temple of God. <laughs> you follow me? And the, in the old covenant, you see all these this Levitical sacrificial system, a bunch of lambs and, and, and oxen and, 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 go, and, uh, and uh, bulls and all kinds of stuff going, feasts and festivals. And, and basically, all this is pointing to, when the book of Hebrews says, now once and for all, the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. That was just a type, a foreshadow, a forecasting of something that would come and be spiritual and be eternal. Have e Eternal and lasting, uh, and lasting power as opposed to something that was just for the meantime. You follow me? The same thing was true in the Old Testament of even prosperity. In the Old Testament, every, a lot of prosperity was one of the indications that God was with you. <laughs> now we see all this new language in the New Covenant about I'm rich in mercy, I'm rich in faith, I'm rich in this, I'm rich in that. You follow me? Right? Then we got all these spiritual blessings and heavenly. Now, in the old, under the old covenant, God would monetarily bless you. You know what I'm saying? Those monetary blessings were indication God is with them. Yahweh's with Israel. New covenant, now you have spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Boom, 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 boom. The same is true of the old covenant when it comes to warfare. And the old covenant, when God was dealing with a spiritual issue, he was using physical means. <laughs> so in order to deal with the sin of another nation, he'd take his own nation and he'd send them in to smash that nation. You follow me? So if Babylon is wilding out perpetually and God wants to prove to them his distaste for their sin, he'd send Israel in to war against them. <laughs> If Israel was wilding out, he'd send Babylon to war against them. 
That was one of the means of that was one of the means by which God indicated that he had a problem with a spiritual issue, though. In the New Testament, the Bible says, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of the stronghold. Now, the, the Bible says there's spiritual wickedness in high places, right? So th this is the new war. You follow me? This is the new war, right? So now, but here, now we're looking at the Old Testament that's pointing to the new, but talking about the same idea. It's warfare. You follow me? So it says here, God sent the army out to war, but he sent the choir out before him. Oh, my goodness. Now look at this. Now they're going to war. Now imagine North Philly, we're going out to like witness, you know what I'm saying? Like all the dudes and the females, we're going out, yeah, yeah, yeah. But imagine before us, like right in front of us, we got a group of dudes and females, some rapping, they take turns, some singing, some, like don't underestimate this. Watch this. It says he sends the singers out in front of the army. Watch this. He says, and the, he says, and they were singing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Watch this. Oh, Lord. 22. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the enemies of God. Look at that. When we come in here and worship together. It's literally spiritual warfare. Y'all understand that? So we can't afford to come in here like, God of wonders beyond our wildest dreams. You at war. John Piper said that he got called to this lady's house. He was sitting there. The lady was demon-possessed. He said, the, he said he tried to reason with this lady for two hours from the scriptures. This does not discredit the scriptures. Don't get this wrong. This is, in a, this is what complements the scriptures. He said, I tried to reason with her for two hours. He says, the, he says things became increasingly violent. The demon was completely angry with what John Piper was doing. He says, the woman began to throw books around, just pick up stuff and throw it. As he was trying to reason from the scriptures. Then he said an old lady in the corner started singing. <laughs> he said an old lady in the corner started singing. <laughs> he said an old lady in the corner started singing. And immediately the lady fell to the floor and said, devil, don't leave me. Says two moments, two minutes later, the lady's body went still. He says, five minutes later, I went to talk to her from the scriptures. She had no idea what had happened. And she had received the word of the Lord. He says, when the lady started singing hallelujah, he said, we all joined in. He says, and the Lord was giving us stuff to sing as we, um, giving us stuff to sing while, while, like, as we went by. He says, each one of us back and forth, the Lord was giving us stuff to sing. He says, and her body went still. She said, devil, don't leave me. This is real stuff, y'all. And may we never be so theologically haughty that we don't capitalize on God's means of grace in this area. Thinking we could just reason, we just reason like, no, nah, you know. I mean, the devil real, but the Bible says one of the means of warfare is praise and worship. When you come in here, come in here ready for war. <laughs> I won't go into everything else. I'm going to my last point. My last point is this. How do I worship? How do I worship? There are a lot of cultural wars, and we must maintain a healthy tension in these debates um, and in these discussions, rather. Um, the first thing I want to say is, turn with me, and this is the last passage of Scripture we'll look at. Everything else, I'll just give you this passage, and you can just look at it when you go home. Um, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
2 Samuel chapter 6. How do we worship? We worship theologically, emotionally, and physically. Theologically, emotionally, and physically. We must worship with our heads. <laughs> like uh, Pastor Deuce was saying earlier, our worship must be informed. Whenever you see a psalmist incite people to worship, he always told them why. <laughs> So he'd say, extol the Lord, all ye peoples. <laughs> he'd say, extol the Lord, all ye peoples. Worship him, all ye nations. For the Lord. <laughs> For his steadfast love and his everlasting kindness. and His, But everywhere you look, wherever the psalmist tells you to worship, incites you to praise, he's also going to tell you why. <laughs> so worship must be informed. Now, I could just come in here and say, okay, all over this building, everybody all over this place, come on, just lift your hands in this building. Come on, everybody, three people, I need you to lift your hands all over this place. Come on, come on, come on in the balcony, y'all are acting like I did. That's cool if you're going to inform my faith, <laughs> fuel my faith with something that incites me to worship. Because that's what the psalmist did. So it must be theological. It must be emotional. <laughs> it's a heart thing. Heart's got to be engaged. Got to be engaged. There's no way in the world we can come in here and just worship God with our heads. Now, sometimes your heart got to catch up. And that's a reality. <laughs> like your heart's not always there. You're going to have to feel guilty about that. <laughs> But at the same time, keep at the forefront of your mind that this effort involves all of me. You follow me? Mind, body, and soul. Theologically, emotionally, and then physically. Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. The Bible says here, um, verse 12. Now it was told, if you got to say, I got it. Last verse and I'm done. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom, the city of David, with gladness. Now remember, the ark of the Lord, ark of the covenant, represented the very presence of God. So it was important that the ark of the covenant be in that city. David had realized how when the Ark of the Covenant was outside of the city, wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, so was the blessing. <laughs> so David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness, <laughs> emotion. And so it was when those bearing the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet, Brian. <laughs> now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, watch this. Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David, David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. The Bible says, verse 20. This is about the, we're about to show you why she despised him. David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today! Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of the servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, what is important to understand is that, first of all, David did not dance literally out of his clothing like he was, his boxers wasn't showing. <laughs> That's, first of all, important to understand. Priests wore two layers. So the outer layer of his clothing actually came off, but he still had another layer on, because we'd be having them in his hands. But he wasn't in his hands. It was the out, he was just out of his outer layer. So basically his wife, she ridiculed him, and her beef with him was, that's not the way a king handles himself. <laughs> How do we worship? 
Nobody can tell you exactly how to worship. We know in scripture we see everything from singing, shouting, dancing, kneeling, bowing, you name it, clapping, playing instruments. Nobody can tell you how to worship. But we will tell you this. Physical expression honors God. And watch this. At Epiphany, this is what we're going to have to be careful of. We're going to have to be careful to not do the very thing that we accuse other people of doing to us, which is being prejudiced towards us. Now, for us, it's people are prejudiced because of what, you know, style of dress or where we talk or because we hip-hop or whatever. For us, it's just another kind of prejudice, though. It's we would see, I wonder how we respond if one Sunday somebody got so excited they ran around the church. I'm not condoning just wild, you know, unbridled worship. <laughs> what I am saying, though, is if somebody did whirl around, if somebody did shout for joy, jump up and down, would we be a group of David's wife, the wife, looking out the window bitter because of their expression? Or what we see that as something that honors God. May we at Epiphany. May we delight in Him. <laughs> may we desire Him. These are prerequisites to worshiping. When we come into the assembly and the gathering together, may we worship Him. May we come pumped <laughs> to worship God. What God? The God of the heavens and the earth, the only true and living God, who has revealed himself in the person of Christ, <laughs> who is both transcendent, not like us, not like his creation, and, both, and our friend. Why worship him? To magnify his greatness. <laughs> and because it's a means of grace with regards to spiritual warfare God ministering to us, which we didn't get into, us ministering to one another, and the list goes on and on and on. How do we worship? Theologically, emotionally, and even physically. And may we never become culturally prejudiced in the same way that we accuse others of being. There's people that come here that we know that say, child, I wanted to shout hallelujah, but y'all don't do that at y'all church. Now watch this. I'm not saying we don't shout hallelujah. However, are we, that's happened actually several times. Are we creating an environment that makes people feel stifled? Actually, this is the question. It's not a, an accusation. Are we creating an environment, however, that makes people feel like I can't be as expressive as I like? Because if that's the case... We're guilty of the very thing we're accusing others of, which is prejudice and bias. Book of Galatians. Love you all, Epiphany. We'll talk more about these things. God bless you. Thanks for giving me your ear.